0: Bankers are getting arrested, stocks aren't as risky as you think, and we now know what Berkshire has been buying. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. It is Tuesday. I'm Matt Kopenheffer. This here is David Hansen. David, an e article online talks about Bradley Cooper going to the White House without underwear. Mm. What article of clothing would you leave behind when visiting the White House? Got to ditch my man's ear. (laughs) Are you wearing that man's ear right now? I I am.
1: How did that story get broken? Was it like the bathroom attendant at the White House? He's not wearing underwear. (laughs) I
0: think Bradley Cooper said it himself. I mean, if I'm Bradley Cooper, I don't really care what I say at this point in time. Exactly. All right, on to the headlines. First headline of the day. Insiders are selling stock at the major banks. The sales include $4.2 million uh, from Matt Zames at J.P. Morgan. I can only assume that he's trying to do some house renovations to get on MTV Cribs. David, this is part of compensation. This is, bankers are now, and if we look at executives across companies, they're being compensated more in stock. They have to sell stock. I prefer it that way. I mean, would you rather
1: them be paying $15 million in cash or $1 million in cash and $14 million why does it have, in stock?
0: Why does it have to be that way? Why does it have to be all cash or $1 million in cash and $14 million in stock? Why don't they have more of a cash component to this so that the, the, the happenstance of the market isn't impacting these, people, these people's paychecks? I, think I don't think they're
1: living paycheck to paycheck over on Wall Street. We saw Matt Ziggins, you mentioned. He sold a big chunk of it. I would rather have I think have, you'd be
0: surprised. These guys live much different lifestyles than you or I.
1: Maybe. I don't know about your lifestyle. Uh, I would rather the, the default be them having skin in the game. If they want to sell it, like you said, they can
0: sell it. If, if they, they want to buy it, that. they can buy it. I'll give them cash. If they want to buy the stock, they can buy the stock. I'd rather see I'd rather see an executive go out and actively buy stock. This is like office space all over again with the flair. Oh, you can have the minimum amount of flair, or you can have more flair. If you want them to own stock, tell them you got to own stock. They can go out and buy it. But don't give them a whole bunch of stock and then say, you got the stock. Oh, why are you selling it now?
1: The article did mention the non-sellers, not a a lot of sellers at Citigroup, Bank of America. I think it was one one big seller at Goldman. But other than that... Why are you selling at Citigroup right now? That's a good point. Buying at Citigroup right now. Buying. Second headline. Jeez. (laughs) Staying over at the Wall Street Journal. Charges open new front in LIBOR probe. Now we have some actual traders being charged criminally here as part of the libor probe is this a a concern do investors look at this and say okay i gotta stay away from this bank because people are getting arrested there what do you think of this well
0: it's not just this bank they're going to take it and they're going to look out at at all of the banks and, and infer something i don't think that this is additional information i don't think this is useful investable information here this is something that happened in the past this is something that happened during a bubble period. That's when you see this kind of activity going on. And not only that, but, David, when you're cruising around in your fancy SUV, how often are you over the speed limit? I'm throwing you under the bus here. Fairly often. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what would happen if a, if a highway patrolman was following you around all the time? I'd probably get pulled over. I rest my case.
1: I think there's slivers of issues here. I don't think, in and of itself, someone getting arrested should say, I'm staying away from that bank. But it, I think it does say something about the culture. I mean, you mentioned speeding on a highway, or you could just not speed, and you don't have to worry about being pulled over. You look at a bank like U.S. Bancorp. Why don't, why don't you not speed?
0: Stop speeding, David. Stop, stop <laughs> speeding my, on the highway. It's in my blood. There's a culture problem within your SUV. I,
1: I think it just increases the chances of something bad happening. We've talked about J.P. Morgan, how both of us think that the stock is attractive, but You'd be naive to say that there aren't potentially culture issues when we've seen what's happened at the bank the last couple of years. But is
0: years. that an is or is that a was?
1: It appears to be still being somewhat of an is uh, when you look in- at stuff going on in the Chinese hiring practices. I'm not saying that's a reason to avoid a stock. I think it's, that's built its way into the stock price to some extent. You have to ask yourself, is the discount enough to justify me buying it? Me personally, I think... Maybe there are some issues there, but the price today justifies the risk I'm taking for the long term.
0: I don't think that this is actionable. Third headline, we're going over to Market Watch and Chuck Jaffe, who's talking about it's not – they're now saying it's not necessary that you diversify across assets or, or that you, you can diversify risk across assets, but you can also diversify risk across time. And when you're talking about stocks in particular, the risk to investors goes down the longer your holding, period – David, why own bonds then? It's a good question. Um,
1: if you're, I, I really don't know. If you uh, hate money, <laughs> own bonds. If, if you if, hate you, you, if money. you have a time horizon that's twenty years, it really is hard for me to imagine a scenario which you should have a big portion of bonds. I know if you if you read The Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham, he says the optimal por- portfolio is probably twenty five percent bonds, and that's Ben Graham saying that. I don't even know if I agree with him and that's saying something. You look back to March of 1989 you heard it
0: here, David <laughs> Hansen disagreeing with Ben Graham. Ben Graham, on, on day, the godfather maybe. of value investing. The
1: 20 years yeah, from March 1989 to March of 09. March of 09 was the very very bottom of this latest big crash we've had. Mm-hmm. Over that 20-year time period, annual returns, annualized returns over 7% with dividends.
0: Overall, that time at the very bottom. Well, what, like what, about, what about the traditional the traditional your age minus, uh, 100 minus your age or whatever, and then you put that amount into bonds?
1: Well, h- how long has that formula been used? Back for 30 years or something? Yeah, I mean, people know. are living longer now. I-, I don't know. So if you're living to 110, you're really, you're over a barrel on that one. Exactly. I'm a younger person. I'm really not looking to Do you have bonds. any bonds
0: in your portfolio? No. Now, if if I'm older, when you think about this time diversification thing, if you're older, if you're nearing retirement, then it becomes entirely reasonable to have bonds because if your time period gets crunched down, I mean, granted, if you're 65 staring right down at retirement, you're going to want some bonds because you're going to need to use some of that money soon, I would guess, Mm -hmm. uh, if you're actually retiring. But then you think about it, if you're going to live to 90, 100 years old, I would think you better have a good chunk of that of that portfolio in stocks, unless you have a gigantic portfolio that you just don't have to worry about money. Right, that's problem. Maybe, at all maybe that's the way to think to about have. it. Is
1: if you if you're using the cash to actually draw from or the account to draw from, maybe that's when you consider. Well, you bonds. shouldn't have.
0: Yeah, it, it's the five year rule. We, we always say it on here. If if you can't if you're not going to hold stocks for at least five years, don't have it in stocks. All right. Focus for today. Last week, last week we had a whole lot of snow. By the way, l- let me just say that, that last week we talked about the the budget bill passing, a clean bill, and, and then right after that happened, D.C. froze over. It did. What, what, what does that say? Are you saying D.C. is? <laughs> uh, I'm not saying anything. I'm just I'm just noting these two events. Berkshire Hathaway on Friday released its 13F. Investors love this because the 13F discloses all of the stocks in Berkshire Hathaway's portfolio. We can compare this to the last one. We can see what Warren Buffett has been buying and selling. And buying, he's, he has been, bought some ExxonMobil, bought some Walmart, bought some U.S. Bancorp, doubled Berkshire Hathaway's stake in uh, USG. Mm-hmm. And then you've also got an increased position in DeVita, which is a non-Buffett position we've seen grow pretty drastically over time. What do you mean by non-Buffett position? I mean, okay, okay. Uh, Ted Wexler and Todd Combs are the Buffett protégés in there. Mm -hmm. They've been managing their own portfolios. Buffett doesn't have anything to do with it. I'm I'm assuming that they're allowed to call him up and say, Mm -hmm. hey, Warren, what do you think about this if they want to? But he's not telling them what to do. And DeVita, 99% sure that is, I think it's a Wexler. I think so, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's a Wexler position. But anyway, thinking about this 13F, Is this something that small retail investors can use? Is this information that's actionable for them?
1: I think it reinforces some good lessons, some lessons that Buffett has taught us and that he's still sticking to those same lessons, that he buys really good businesses that generate a lot of cash, have good leadership, have good moats. But in terms of actionable going on there and saying, okay, Buffett's buying these stocks, therefore it's a good fit for my portfolio – I don't do that, and I don't know if there
0: is a lot of people. Why not? Why uh, why wouldn't you buy? What's what's wrong with looking at this and saying, Buffett's buying Exxon, I should should buy some Exxon? Because I think Buffett's
1: outlook in terms of what he needs from a stock is different than what an individual investor needs from a stock. He's
0: not necessarily looking for the next... He wants to buy a stock that's going to return over time. He's calculating the intrinsic value of the stock, and if he can buy it for less than that, he's buying it, right? Isn't that the way Buffett operates? But what we've heard... More so in the last couple of years, that they're so big now, they they
1: can only invest in a small amount of companies and really move the needle for Berkshire here. So sure, so Berkshire doesn't have the same. I don't have hundred billion dollars, so you know I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at different. I'm looking at different types of companies. What do you take away from the 13F for Berkshire?
0: I, I think there's opportunity to look at this and say, hey, what's Buffett buying and. A, is this something that I could buy that I would want to buy? And B, uh, what, are, what are themes that I can pull away from this? I mean, I, I look at the fact that Berkshire – I own Walmart, so I'm a little bit biased here. But I look at the fact that Berkshire is upping its position in Walmart right now, which is a time – a lot of people are backing away from Walmart. So I think that this is a reasonable takeaway. Buffett still thinks Walmart's a good buy right now. He still believes in the company. still believes in the future. Uh, can we believe it? The future of buying things at mm-hmm. low prices. Uh, In terms of themes, we look at the fact that Wells Fargo has become the largest position in Berkshire's portfolio. We look at the fact that Berkshire is still adding to its position in U.S. Bank Corp. And we we just talked about last week the 13F for uh, Daily Journal, which is where Charlie Munger, uh, Buffett's right-hand man, Mm -hmm. is managing the portfolio. Biggest positions, Wells Fargo and U.S. Bank Corp, right? Was it Wells Fargo and U.S. Bank Corp? No, no, no. It was Wells Fargo and Bank Bank of America, America. and U.S. Bank Corp's in there, too. So I take this all together, and I'm saying... Well, what does Buffett think about buying banks right now? Still likes it. Still likes it. Maybe not going all in, but still But I but I think that there's I think there's good actionable information here for retail investors. Now I don't think you blindly the the problem is is if you get into the idea of blindly following what Buffett's doing. That's dangerous. I think you could do more dangerous things, but you could probably you could
1: do Yeah, you could think of more dangerous things to do. I, I think another takeaway would be what buffett's not buying as opposed to just what he is buying uh, i mean there's still a there's lot of, a lot that, he's lot, lot that he's not buying in terms of he's sti- like i said he's sticking with what he's always bought he's not venturing off But
0: i don't, I don't is, is that stuff. is that really is that really information what he's not buying because he's he's talked about in the past i don't understand technology so i'm not going to buy technology so the fact that he's not buying Apple, that he's not buying, going out and buying intuitive surgical, the, the robot surgery mm-hmm. uh, people, <laughs> does, that give you, does that actively give you information, or is this just something that Buffett doesn't understand, so he doesn't buy anyway? It just reinforces what he's always said, I guess. There you go. All right. All right, mailbag. We have an email address. It's WTMI at fool.com. Send us an email. We love getting emails more than basically anything in the world. Besides pizza. Chocolate. Well, yeah, nothing's, nothing's better than pizza. Send us a pizza. Send. <laughs> Send us, we'll give you the <laughs> I don't know that I want to tempt anybody to try that. A digital, is there a digital pizza? Bitcoin pizza. Bitcoin pizza. All right. All right. Our question for the day comes from Mike. Mike asks, why does AIG's earning report focus on book value excluding AOCI instead of book value? What is the difference between the two numbers? AOCI, to break that apart, that is accumulated and other comprehensive income. Boy, if that doesn't get you jacked up, I don't know what will. Yeah, that makes my day every day when I get to talk about accumulated and other comprehensive income. So we saw AIG report its earnings last week. Mm -hmm. And the AOCI component, the the largest change that we're going to be seeing in there is that AIG, like other insurers, has a big investment portfolio. Most of that is in bonds. So as we see interest rates uh, start to rise up, that's going to hurt the value of that bond portfolio. So the bond portfolio is going to bring big losses to the AOCI account. Mm -hmm. That brings down book value. Obviously, AIG wants to be able to show year-over-year book value growth. If you just show straight book value growth, uh, it's not going to look as good as it otherwise would. So to some extent, I can, I can get on board with it, what AIG's doing because it's saying here's the change in year-over-year book value from our core performance yeah. without the change in this bond portfolio, which, to be fair, AIG doesn't have a lot of control over. They're going to try to optimize the mm-hmm. portfolio to, to, to have it be the best it can be within this interest rate environment. Um, but at the same time, now here's, here's what to watch. When, when the interest rate environment changes... And it starts moving in AIG's favor. Is it still book value, uh, year-over-year book value growth, excluding AOCI? Or is it now just straight book value year-over-year? I would prefer them just to have an all-in
1: number. I understand that you want to see the core business, but they're also benefiting from higher rates on the actual income side through interest income on the bond portfolio. But not as much yet. Not as much, but still. The whole
0: portfolio's got to roll over. You
1: can't really have one without the other. I think that's kind of, I don't know. It's not slimy, but, but... But I think
0: you want to show both. I think you want to show I both. think it's fair to show both.
1: As an investor, which one do you care more about? I care about them both. I, I care about...
0: You have to pick one. I don't have to pick one. I want to see them both. Okay. Well, okay, fine. I, I'm going to care more about the bottom line book value. Because over time, we value it. Uh, we, we value AIG based on a book value multiple. So what I'm going to be looking for is that book value number to grow over time because the multiple, assuming the multiple that, that, that we put on it stays the same, the value of my investment is going to grow. All right. So if you make me choose one. Fair. All right. We got a game for today. That game is Would You Rather. Simple, standard, mm-hmm. would you rather rules. Let's go to the first scenario. First scenario is, David, would you rather own Radian, the mortgage insurer, or King Media Entertainment, makers of Candy Crush saga I know that's your favorite game, David. Which Reportedly filing for an IPO. Reportedly filing for an IPO.
1: Apparently, King is profitable. Revenue approaching $2 billion. In if year. it
0: was valued on price to number of times I've been invited to play Candy Crush Saga, <laughs> and, you've it would look, it would, and I've declined, <laughs> it would look like a value stock, no doubt.
1: I'm going to go with Radiant here. And the mortgage insurance business, historically, is not a great one. These This is very cyclical and when it goes bad, usually these companies do very poorly. And we saw that with Radian coming out of the housing crisis. But I still think we're in the right side of the cycle for Radian to do well over the next several years here. Uh, so maybe Candy Crush is okay, but I'm going with
0: Radian. I, I, se- I set up this question to be a difficult choice, particularly for me. I'm not a, I'm just not a huge fan of Radian. I'm not a really huge fan of the mortgage insurance business in general, uh, but I'm going with Radian here too. This this online video game business it's just not a good business. It's a it's a hits driven business and we've seen what happened to Zynga. I remember when Zynga was, was getting ready to go public and I was like, I'm not touching this with a ten foot pole. Of course leadership was a little bit different in mm-hmm. Zynga. But Candy Crush Saga, I think five years from now that's gonna we'll be talking about that like we're talking about slap br- bracelets. <laughs> we're always talking about slap bracelets. Always talking about <laughs> slap bracelets.
1: Alright, second scenario. Would you rather Mimic the Berkshire portfolio or buy five stocks today and hold until retirement. What are you doing?
0: And this is mimic the Berkshire portfolio. Exactly. Going out into the future, even when, when, when Buffett's no longer there, I have to trust whoever takes over for Buffett. Yep. How about transaction costs?
1: <laughs> no Come transaction costs, I, I perfect details. world.
0: Perfect world, no transaction yep. costs. I am going to I'm mimic the Berkshire portfolio. That's pretty easy one stock in the
1: Berkshire portfolio that you're most optimistic about? Putting you on the spot here.
0: Uh, Yeah, you are.
1: Um, You can think about it and I'll answer with Berkshire as well. As as much as I would like to fancy myself a good stock picker, five stocks to hold until retirement, I think there's a lot of risk that goes into that. People like Buffett can do it, hold five stocks. I don't think I'm at the level of Buffett quite yet. So I'm going with the Berkshire portfolio. Like I just said, I don't know if there's a lot of actionable...
0: Actions, if that's a word,
1: for, <laughs> actionable actions for, it for is small support. investors to take. But I still feel comfortable with the allocators at the top of the portfolio. There,
0: I'm going to, I'm going to answer your question. I'm going to go with Goldman Sachs. I was almost going to go with Wells Fargo, but I think if you weigh the two along with the current valuations, Goldman Sachs is, I think, the better value right now. I mean, look, these, it's, it's a, it's a culture that brings in the best and the brightest, and it's a, it's a company that just knows how to make money mm-hmm. across different cycles. As the regulations change, they figure out how to make money within the regulations. I know a lot of people aren't crazy about some of the stuff that Goldman does, but generally, almost always, it's not illegal. They just find ways to work within the regulations to make the most money that they can. How about you? I don't know. We're going to move on. To oh, whatever. come on. <laughs> I'll tell you tomorrow. All right, finishing off in the Twitter sphere, David, what's our first tweet? Our first tweet
1: is from... Edward Harrison. He says the loan to deposit ratio at US banks is at a 35 year low. We have a chart just to show how ridiculous it is. Uh, very low. We always talk about how this very, is very a lot of opportunity for Wells Fargo, Bank of America have very low loan to deposit ratios right now, a lot of dry powder on the books. Is there anything we're missing? Is this somehow not a good thing? You're asking me why I'm wrong. Yeah.
0: Why, why am I? I'm not. Look deep down. I'm, I'm not. I, I don't – this is – so I just talked we, – we just had the interview with Michael Mobison on uh, Friday. Mm-hmm. And and one of the key b- uh, behavioral biases you want to look out for is overconfidence. And if there's someplace where I fall into that, it's right here. But I, I do not think that that we're wrong on this one. Uh, it's, a, it's a cycle issue. The reason that it's as low as it is is because we're coming out of such an extreme – uh, in the 2008-2009 timeframe, uh, But I think that this is, this is just a cyclical thing and as the credit cycle starts to pick back up, as the economy starts to pick back up we're going to see banks start to lend again and that's, when that starts to heat up, that's when you're going to want to look out. Alright, second tweet. Second tweet. We've got Saki Michel. Uh it's at Capital Observer on Twitter. The departures of executives at Annaly is understandable due to its poor performance. The fact that the stock is down is backward-looking, in my opinion. David, are you worried about these departures at Annaly? You got the C was CIO and, and the CO. COO,
1: and a board member elected not to stand for for re-election there. So a lot of turnover here. Are you,
0: are you disappointed? You're you're an shareholder. Are you disappointed with the results? And and so does that mean that executives should be leaving? I'm not that disappointed with the results it's not like they're this black
1: sheep in the industry that's done amazing and they're the only one suffering i think they've done relatively well considering the circumstances that they've been around i think it's a little short-sighted to blame these executives perhaps on the poor performance yes it could have been better but i don't know it leaves me kind of middle ground right now i'm not excited that they left i'm not really disappointed that they left it's going to be interesting to see who they bring in. We've talked about before the mortgage REIT space is very dependent on who ru- is running the mortgage REIT CEO. Wellington Denham is still there. Mm-hmm. But it'll be interesting to see who steps up and takes those positions. So it's kind of a wait and see mode right now. All right. Final tweet. Final tweet is from our own John Reeves. He says, the full membership lif- list of Wall Street's secret society. And that secret society is Kappa Beta Phi. And apparently there's this organization that Wall Street's elite, mm-hmm. they're in, they get inducted to, they have big... <laughs> I don't know, balls or induction ceremonies. Very interesting. Who is the one Wall Street elitist, if you will?
0: Elitist? Elite. (laughs) Elite. Elite. Elite
1: Elite that you'd want to go out on the town with and have a good time.
0: I'm just, I was thinking about this. I don't know why you would choose anybody else besides Jamie Dimon. I mean, why would you not want Jamie Dimon as your wingman going around New York City? That's fair. I mean, Lloyd Blankfein, smart guy, great executive, but is that the guy? I don't know. Maybe maybe he's a funny guy. Maybe he's fun to hang out with. I I just feel like Jamie Dimon's the pick.
1: I'm going with Dick Fold. The reason is is if if things get a little rowdy and maybe someone pushes me, starts a bar fight, (laughs)
0: Dick Fold's going to rip their throats out. That's all (laughs) you need to know. Feel feel protected with Dick Fold. So you're thinking primarily about going out and getting in fights. Well, no, just if something. If something. You never know. New York City is kind of a crazy place. It is kind of a crazy place. All right, well, that's the show for today. You can find us on Twitter. We're at TMF Financials. You can find us on Facebook, Motley Fool Financial Services. I'm Matt Kopenheffer. This is David Hansen. We'll see you tomorrow.
1: People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.